You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right. Uh, I want to be teaching tonight out of the book of Colossians, and I want to be I want to talk to you tonight about an emerging wolf. An emerging wolf. Jesus warned in Matthew 17, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening, or I'm sorry, ravening wolves. Uh, an emerging wolf. In the book of Colossians is where we've been studying. I want to continue there. And the Bible says in chapter 2, verse number 8, what's the very first word you find there? Beware. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And I preach this message in the spirit of Matthew 7, 15, where Jesus said, Beware false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, as well as Colossians 2, verse 8. And look with me, if you will, at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, the next to the last verse of Colossians 1, whom we preach, preaching Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So, we started this lesson last week, this message, and we're continuing into this week, and I think I'll probably have uh, at least one more week, uh, and I think maybe just one more week that we'll deal with this. As much as the Bible says about false prophets and false doctrine, uh, we could spend a lot more time on it. Uh, there's a lot to be said about it in the Word of God, really from the very beginning. You read through the Old Testament, you read, get into the New Testament, uh, repeatedly you have false doctrine that keeps coming up and false teachers coming up. So we have a warning, and tonight I want to go through. Uh, I want to go with you through number one, several passages of scripture to begin with. But then I want to talk. So I want to talk about truth, and I want to talk about some different terms with you tonight. And I think this will be a little bit more in a Bible study fashion. If you'll bear with me tonight, but I want to begin with uh, John chapter eight, verse thirty-one. I want to. I want to begin just as we did a moment ago in the way of introduction with the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said this to the believing Jews in John 8, 31. If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth. I want to emphasize that. Ye shall know the truth. If you continue in my word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, I don't endorse all the activity of the CIA, to say the very least, but it's still interesting that that is uh, on the seal in the the CIA, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, I also want to share with you 2 Timothy chapter 3. I hope you'll mark these down and read them for yourselves, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. This is Paul speaking to Timothy and he said, and as well to us, but he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, the, the, The gospel, the word of God is how we learn about Christ. That's how we get to know Christ as our Savior. Um, 
Matter of fact, just today, I, I told you I got to spend some time with Ray and, and some discipleship just right before church tonight. And I was sharing with him those verses out of Peter to where he talks about that, uh, how that you were born again. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe it is, that you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so that's how we're born into the family of God. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 2, I believe, says, As sincere, or as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God, that ye may grow thereby. So we're saved through the word of God, but we also grow through the word of God. So it's able to make you wise unto salvation, as Paul said here. But then he goes on to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Now, when you get around a a church or religious group and the first thing they say and they brag about is that now we try to leave doctrine out of this. That's not uh, a good selling point, okay? Because the Bible says it's good for doctrine, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and I'm just going through these quickly. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, uh, Timothy is charged, all of God's men are charged to preach the Word. Preach the Word of God. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, with all long suffering and doctrine. There again, doctrine, which is just teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. Now, I know in, in, our, in our vernacular, lust always seems to go straight to the sexual sort, but it, it'll help you if you study your Bible when you realize that when the Bible speaks of lust, like here, it's not just sexual desire. That's included, but what is it? Lust, the lust of the flesh. After their own lust. Somebody said it. Desire. What did you say? Envying. That's a part of it as well. Uh, but it's basically desire. After, so there's nothing wrong with desire, but you have godly desires or fleshly desires. So he's saying that there's going to come a time when rather than people hearing what God's truth says, sound doctrine, that they're going to heap to themselves. So the picture is they're just raking in teachers. They're, they're buying the books. They're watch, listening to the podcast. They're watching the videos. They're going, they can't get enough of those who they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, itching ears, the, the best picture I can think of is that is if you have an itch on your back, for instance. You ever got one of those itches you can't quite get to? And I know it's a, yeah, scratch. I get mixed up. You, you talk with your kids so much sometimes and you goof stuff up. Because uh, you ever say that you're, you're scratching, I need somebody to itch me? Uh, you're saying, I need, I'm itching, or whatever. But you got an you itch on your back that you can't scratch. But isn't it something... Uh, I, can, I mean, you ever seen, I, I bet there's a few of these guys in here. You ever seen one of those guys? I can just about imagine Ronnie or Eric or one of those guys just having an itch on their back, you know, they can't quite get to. And they just look like an old, uh, you know, mule or something. Man, when they just get back there and rub and get, get to that itch. And, and what do you do when you get to that point? Oh, man, such a relief. Well, the Bible's given that picture of people having itching ears. They got something they want to hear. 
And, I, and I've been threatening to preach this message. I hadn't done it yet. But uh, we, we don't always have what people want, but we have what people need. Amen? Uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. Uh, I don't have necessarily what you want, but I got what you need. And, uh, but they have itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You ever, you ever seen a horse listen? You ever seen a horse move its ear where, it wants it, where it's trying to hear and listen? And that's the picture. They're going to turn away their ears from hearing the truth. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to have their itch scratched. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, the Bible says, If any man teach otherwise, other than what the Bible is teaching, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, I'm sorry, uh, men of corrupt minds, and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. So I just tried to load your wagon there with a lot of verses that talk about the importance of the Word of God. And uh, uh, so a couple things I just want to share to start with. When we think about the Bible and Christianity, I, I talked about emerging wolves. I'm going to get there in just a moment. But I'm just going to try to lay a foundation here of what the Bible says of how we should believe about the truth of God's Word, okay? One thing I want to say right away here is I want to make a distinction tonight between biblical precepts and biblical principles. Now there's a lot that could be said about this tonight, but when I talk about a biblical precept, I'm talking about something that's founded, for instance, something that just never changes. Thou shalt not kill. Biblical precept. That doesn't change. Doesn't matter how society changes, uh, you know, and, and I could just start going through, you know, uh, idolatry, lying, stealing, etc. Um, there's some things in the Bible that no matter what happens in the culture, these things never change. These are biblical precepts. Uh, you know, I know people may want to say, well, you interpret it however you want to. Well, buddy, thou shalt not kill. You, you, <laughs> there's only one way to really interpret that, okay? Um, but then I want to talk about biblical principles. It is important not to confuse biblical precept and biblical principle. Uh, God gives us principles because, think about this for instance. The Bible says, um, for instance, uh, the Bible says that uh, to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Um, I'm going to use that as an example. It says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So as Christians, we are supposed to avoid that which is worldly. Now, when we're talking about worldly there, uh, there's a couple different definitions of whether it's called world or um, earth or whatever the case is. But what's a few different classifications for world? There's, there's a, I guess there's at least three that we could say. Uh, what's that? Okay, the secular world. So we'll get to that one in just a moment. That's, that's, that's the warning of worldliness, if you will. But what's another example of world, Atreyu? The world system, these kind of go together. We're still with the world system, the secular world. The, the, the system is a good way to describe the world and worldliness. Uh, I'm, 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 trying to, I'm fishing for a world that's not bad. Mankind. Now, no mankind's sinful, but the Bible says, For God so loved the world. 
Now, he, doesn't, he didn't love the secular um, system, the, the anti-God system that's been at work against God from the beginning. That's what, not, not what God says uh, that he loves. He loves mankind. So the world, there's a, a spiritual principle behind the world, but then there's just the basic thing of the world. And then what's another one that's even uh, more benign, if you will? The earth. Right? So there's the world. But, but worldliness is exactly what was the first ones that was said. Uh, now, but here's the thing about worldliness. The world system, in a sense, has always been the same. But things that, I would say that worldliness changes throughout the years. Um, there's a reason that we do not live like the Amish today. Did you know the reason the Amish and those of that, you know, there's, there's quite a few under a general umbrella of that really old-fashioned living. The reason they live that way is because the Bible says, be not conformed to the world. Now, why don't we, and what are they doing? See, they are stuck back years ago not being worldly to things that were worldly back then. And I would say that there's a certain thing about worldliness that changes, but I'll talk about biblical principles, okay? The Bible is the final authority for all things, and the Bible means, uh, and, and, and the means by which God provides principles for living in a way that protects us from harmful thinking and behavior. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talk, we've, we talk about this quite a bit, but I'm just trying to lay the foundation on the Word of God, believing the Word of God, believing the precepts, believing the principles. A principle, as defined for our consideration, is an understanding from the Bible of how God feels about something and why He feels the way He does. That is the very definition of knowing God. Having an intimate knowledge of the Bible's pr principles equates to having an understanding of what God loves, uh, hates, and why. And it goes through, if you want to look at, again, the definition of a, I feel like what's a good definition of the world, or of a, of a principle, is worldliness. Now, the principles concerning worldliness transcend time. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, again, this is the negative world, the system that's anti-God. Worldliness. He says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, what does the world look like? The Bible says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So that's kind of a definition of worldliness. I'm using this as an example of a biblical principle. Um, I've, I've used this example before, but it's a, it's a principle. And what it does is it's a timeless principle that carries us through time, and it carries us through culture. Um, I've got friends of mine that are missionaries in the West Indies, throughout the Caribbean. I've got some friends in Grenada, and... Uh, the, some of these guys, they were born, one guy I'm thinking of in particular, born and raised in Grenada. And uh, in Grenada, uh, they, have, they have a different culture than we have here, as you might imagine. When my friend came to America and began to preach and, and go around and, and preach in American churches, uh, one of the things that disturbed him greatly is he saw a woman or two or three throughout his time that wore an ankle bracelet. <gasps> an anklet, I guess it would be called, right? Oh my gosh, can you believe that? Now hold on a second. Why, does the, why did that bother him? Is there anything biblically wrong with 
An anklet. Ladies, is it an ankle or an ankle bracelet? Does it matter? Okay. I don't want to sound like a total idiot. And that's my wife. She could be trying to set me up to sound like an idiot, all right? You never know. Thank God for it. Uh, but an anklet. Uh, okay. Anything biblically wrong with that? Here's the thing. Why did he have trouble with it? He grew up in Grenada his whole life. And you know the t- kind of women who wore anklets in Grenada? That's advertisement. That lets you know they're for sale. So he gets to America, and his first thought is like, dude, they got, that prostitute was up there just singing a special. (laughs) That prostitute, the preacher's wife is a prostitute. Whatever the case may be, that looks bad, right? Here's my point. Worldliness, all right, is an example. It's the, the principles transcend culture and transcend time. Now, would you say, based upon that, that it would be inappropriate, perhaps wrong, for you ladies to wear an anklet if you were to go to a Grenada. Now, this was 20 years ago. This may have changed, but 20 years ago, would you say that it would be wrong for you to go to Grenada wearing an anklet? Sure. Yeah, and of course, if you knew why, I mean, it not, not, but, but that's just simply the point. Now, is it wrong for you to wear an anklet in America? No. What that shows you is that there's a principle there that worldliness in Grenada is not necessarily the same exact thing. There's some of the things, less of the flesh, less of the... There's some of the things that are the same. But I'm just saying that there's some of the things culturally that can change with that. But these principles go with this. I say that because some of, some of us come from backgrounds to where the churches and the preachers, they started mixing up precept and principle. And, and I alluded to this the other day, but I, I knew a preacher, for instance, that uh, he was around when the Beatles hit the shores. And one of the things, especially with John Lennon, John Lennon and some of the hippies, you know what kind of glasses they wore? Wire-rimmed glasses. And so that became popular among, guess who? Not God's people, but a lot of times that became popular with some of the rebels. I bet Ron had some. Uh, okay, that became popular. So therefore, the pre- the, this preacher and several others begin to preach against, hey, you guys shouldn't wear wire-rimmed glasses. That's a signal of this rebellion, of worldliness. And, and, and that's a preference now. But again, let's go back to that time. If literally, within the culture of that time, if it was generally accepted that you saw somebody with wire-rimmed glasses, you knew they were a hippie, And if you didn't want to be identified as a hippie, you knew maybe I shouldn't wear wire-rimmed glasses, okay? So that's understandable for then, arguably. You may say, I don't think it's ever, but I'm just trying to give an example. So what these guys do is there's guys that are still preaching against wire-rimmed glasses because they've turned a principle into a precept. You see what I'm saying? There's a lot of different examples about this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it tonight. But I'm just trying to say that there's biblical precept, there's biblical principle. But the bottom line is, is we have the Word of God for today, and we have the biblical precepts, we have the biblical principles that we can live by. Here's one of the, another thing, by the way, about... Um, oh, hey, here's another one. Biblical... Uh, I don't even know if this is really even a, a principle. This wouldn't even fall in that category. But I was thinking about the time... Me, be where, I, I have these conversations. Let me, let me back up here. I'm trying to get to an emerging wolf. And I bet if I looked at my clock, it would be 8 o'clock already. I don't know. This is how it goes for me, okay? Um, but uh, I, I have these conversations because I'm trying to get to the point 
of warning you about these emerging wolves. That there's wolves in sheep's clothing out there. There's doctrine, there's false doctrine that can be very tricky that you need to avoid. Okay? And I need to avoid. I'm trying to get to that point. I'll be in conversations with pastors who are having their young preachers or preachers that are out of their church that are beginning to follow some of these trends uh, of the emerging church, such as universalism and uh, you know, extreme pragmatism and some of these other things that we'll define just in a moment, some of these postmodern ideas. But while they're talking about some of these ways these guys are departing, They'll say, yeah, man, he seems like he's departing from, you know, the assurance of Scripture, the, the Scripture being clear. Jesus, all that, that that he said about the truth that we started off with, he's starting to do that. And, and they took Baptist off the sign. And then he'll say, and he's talking universalist talk now. And he's not wearing a tie in the pulpit anymore. And I'm like, oh, bat, okay, whatever, bat, you see what I'm saying? What, is the, what's, what does the Bible say about having Baptist on your church, son? Well, by golly, it should as much fuss as people make about it. See, people take this and they turn it into a precept. That's not a precept. So I, didn't, I ain't mad about somebody not having Baptist on their sign, okay? Don't bother me, all right? Doesn't matter what you believe, what you preach, because we understand what Baptist is supposed to mean, but, but I'm talking about the Bible here, Okay? Uh, and so that, uh, that's okay, whatever. Um, same thing with the tie and the jacket and the suit and everything. Yeah, he's not even wearing a, a tie anymore. Okay. We, we know what the Bible says about a man wearing a tie when he's in church. I mean, my golly. Anyway, I spent enough time on that, but I'm just simply trying to tell you that we've got to, be, we, we've got to make sure that we're standing on biblical precept and biblical principle but, but I'll give you another one to where there's room to agree, or room to disagree for that matter. We're obviously a little, we're obviously a little more conservative with our music here than, we, than some other places. Now, I really do think that you take the principle of love not the world, be not conformed to the world. I believe that applies to the music world. I really do. But here's the thing about it. I believe what the principle does is it leaves room for disagreement. It leaves room for argument. What does the Bible say about, uh, you know, for instance, I'll just say uh, casting crowns version of glorious day. I'm not asking you what the preacher said about it, okay? I'm asking you what the Bible said about that. Yeah, I mean, basically, you could go with that. All I'm simply trying to say is music is one of those places. There's places, one of the great things about biblical principles is there's room for, for, for agreeing to disagree in principles, uh, in the application of principles. Not in precept, but in the application of principles. I'm just, that's all I'm trying to say there. Okay, so, how am I doing? Y'all with me? I knew it! Crazy! <laughs> Two minutes, that's right. Listen fast, alright? Uh, the shot clock's going to go off in a minute. Or in two minutes. Um, I want to give you some, I, I want to try to give you, de- define some things for you, okay, to get to where I'm trying to get to tonight. And I understand that I'm going to have to stop in the middle somewhere. It's going to be two messages. Uh, I want to talk to you quickly about, uh, you ever heard about modernism? You ever heard about postmodernism, anybody? Okay. Let me tell you what pre-modernism is. Pre-modernism, basically, I'm defining these quickly and simply. Pre-modernism is the thought, the belief that there's truth and it has a supernatural source. 
There's truth and it has a supernatural source. Now, who in the world believed that for most of human history? The answer to that would be pretty much all people believed that. They believed that there was a truth and that it had a supernatural source. There was maybe debate over the supernatural source, but then there became modernism. It came along with enlightenment. And what they begin to say is there, there is truth, but we can find it with human reason. We don't need God anymore. Anybody? It's still around. Uh, oh, you know, God was just something people needed and uh, before, we, before we had science to answer all these things. You're pretty ignorant, okay? But I'm going to be nice about telling you you're ignorant because you are ignorant and I want to win you. But buddy, just study a little bit and you'll find out differently than that, okay? You'll find out that science, history, you'll find out that, I mean, geography, you talk, I mean, we, we bring in thermodynamics as far as science is concerned, and buddy, we're not talking about, now we're believing in God less, we're believing in God more. When we read the oldest book in the Bible, and it's telling us things that were just discovered the last century, we start saying, okay, never mind. Uh, we know that some people may have used some, some form of God to define, you know, uh, what they couldn't explain. But we know that our God does explain that. But anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. By the way, though, you want to know what came along with modernism? Knowledge and wisdom without God, man's reason? Fascism? Nazism? Communism? Those are some of the products of roughly 250 years of modernism. All right? And there's a lot more I could say about that, but I'm not going to. But now I'm going to talk about postmodernism for a minute. Postmodernism is... That's this thought. There may be truth, but we can't know it. There may be truth, but we can't know it. Postmodernism denies universal truth. Truth is, supposedly, truth is how each individual feels about things. Does that sound familiar? Truth is how each individual feels about things, not how they really are. You know, well, that's your truth. You, your truth is if you jumped off the building, you would fall and get hurt. My truth is, I don't believe in gravity. So I jump off the building, and this is how much smarter these people are than us, by the way. We jump off there, we get hurt. They jump off there, and I guess they float the other direction or something. That's their truth. But, so postmodernism thinks there, there, there may be a truth, but, you know, who knows? It's up to each person to define that. Uh, so there's no exclusive. When we come to the gospel, that means there's no exclusive gospel. The facts of Christianity must be redefined by a new vocabulary in preaching, writing, and worship. And um, this is wrong-headed ideology. Postmodernism says that you have your truth, I have my truth, everybody has his own truth. Truth is whatever you think it is. Whatever you want it to be, it's intuitive it's, uh, expenditure, uh, it's from experience, experiential, but it's not universal and it's not knowable. Brian McLarkin is, is, claims to be a preacher of the gospel. But he, my, uh, Brian McL McLaren, he claims to be a preacher of the gospel, but he's actually a preacher of a false gospel. And he says that ambiguity is a really good thing. I mean, you know, in other words, ambiguity, just like it may be, it may not be, who knows, whatever. Uh, he says that's a really good thing when it comes to the Bible. Now, what is the deal? If everybody has their own truth, just bear with me. Don't get too hung up on that. I'm going to come back to it. 
if everybody has their own truth and there's no universal truth, the only thing that's left is a real popular word and that's called tolerance. Now, let me tell you something. In the true sense of the word, there is not a more tolerant group of people than Bible-believing Christians. We believe in tolerance. We love people. Uh, we are not about division. We're about unity. Uh, I mean, we, we know how many races there are. That helps right away, does it not? We know there's one race. Well, that helps. That goes a long ways. Therefore, we're not concerned about races. We understand there's different ethnicities and skin colors, but we understand that there's such a microscopic difference in our DNA, it's, it's hardly even worth mentioning. And it's not worth mentioning. We, we know these things. Uh, but, but basically, what they, what they call tolerance, and by the way, you always remember this, I mean, these people are so smart, man. And they're so loving, and they're so tolerant that they're not about to tolerate your intolerance. We're not putting up with it, because we're tolerant. This is an environment of welcoming, so you can just get out. Right? We're tolerant. But all that's left is tolerance, so-called tolerance. Tolerance is the only thing left because everybody's entitled to their own truth. Um, ambiguity is, a wonder, is wonderful if you want to be able to live without sin or, the, or, or without the guilt of sin. Now, I'm against today, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring this down. At least I can try to finish this thought. I'm against modernism because it de- denied the divine authorship of Scripture. But I'm against postmodernism because it denies the divine clarity of Scripture. So that's what we're dealing with today. That's what I'm trying to get to is postmodernism. It denies the divine clarity of Scripture. Can you really know? That whole whacked out, quote unquote, scientific idea of we can't really know anything, nothing's for sure, that, that philosophy I should say. Um, but but it's, that's what it is in the religious world. It's postmodernism. The enemy can deny that it's from God... Or, it can, or the enemy can deny that it's clear, or you can just misrepresent it. Some churches have decided that there is value and even virtue in uncertainty about Scripture. The bottom line in the movement that's, that I'm speaking of today, the emerging wolves, is that they believe that we aren't even supposed to understand what the Bible means. Well, that's convenient, isn't it? What about, what about what, all the things I've already said to you about what God said, about what Jesus Christ said about it? At its foundation, there's an unwillingness to accept clear teaching of Scripture. God holds us responsible for the right understanding of Scripture, folks. We are liable before God for what we do with the truth and right understanding of Scripture. Now, these people deny the clear teaching of Scripture, and the reason they deny it is not because it can't be understood and not because it's unclear, but because they don't like what it says. Because what I'm trying to bring this back into is the religious world. Here's the seducing nature of it. We, t- we talked about this last week. Who wants to be offensive? Not me. But how many know the truth is offensive sometimes? We can speak the truth in love. Uh, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Uh, I mean, listen, you ever, you ever have to, I, I've had to ask people somebody, if you're so right, why are you so angry? You ever had to ask somebody that? I'm having to talk, I'm going to have to scream and be more angry than you to show that, uh, that I'm right. Well, if you're so right, why are you so angry? Uh, man, we have confidence in what we know. But the point that I'm just simply trying to make is this, that 
There, that's the idea. And here's the thing. Here's what Jesus said in John 3, 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to know the clear teaching of Scripture because their deeds were evil. And it brings in all kinds of things. And here I'm trying to bring this thing to a landing again. But I'll just try to close by saying this. We do have the truth. And it is clearly stated, but what we've got to be aware of are those out there that try to cast doubt. And literally, what they call people like us that believe the words of Christ, believe those words that we started with tonight, they call us, uh, you know, they, they call what we believe and what we practice uh, bibliolatry. Bibliolatry. Worshippers of the Bible. They say we put the Bible as an idol, and we have not done that. We've just taken what God says. I mean, it's hard to separate how I feel. What if I told you I love my wife, but you can't believe a word she says? That's not very honoring, is it? Uh, I mean, listen, I love God, and He breathed this word. A perfect God gave us this book. He promised that He would give it to us. He promised us that it was inspired. By the way, and it stands, it stands against the test of time. We've said it so many times. People have been attacking this Bible every day since it's been written. What happens to those that are honest and objective? At the very least, they come away saying there's a God. Many of them become evangelists, quite literally. But those with, a, with, with an objective that love darkness rather than life, I thought, was it, what is it, was it Aldous Huxley, I believe it was, that uh, I believe it was him or, or one of uh, Darwin's buddies that said something along the lines of like, there's no way I could ever acknowledge the truth or existence of God because that may require me to live morally, basically. I don't want to live morally. I love darkness, not light. I don't want to acknowledge a God that's going to give me light. So... My mind's made up. I'm not interested in the science. I'm interested in my, what I've already decided. So what we've got to be, be clear and settled on, folks, and I encourage you, get settled on it, the Word of God. Um, I, I, I want to talk about pragmatism sometime in the near future. Uh, and I want to talk about universalism. Uh, there, there are preachers that in, in the name of quote-unquote love, and we'll talk about love later too, man. We, I, I am glad one time we got called, somebody, and they meant it in a derogatory way, but I'm glad one time that we got called the love church. And they said it in a derogatory way, but I'm just like, guilty, man, let's put it on the sign. I mean, it's like, I'm cool with that, all right? Because we are known for being a loving group of people, right? We are. Uh, thank God for that. But we speak the truth in love. You know, I've told you before, I don't need a doctor that loves me so much that he don't want to tell me I got cancer. I don't need that kind of doctor. I want a doctor that loves me. No, no, I want to, if, if that doctor loves me, he's going to tell me the truth, all right? A lawyer, an accountant, whatever the case is, tell me the truth. Um, we, we, we speak the truth in love. We love people, therefore we tell the truth, and we speak the truth in love. But what I'm just simply trying to say is this. Universalism, in the name of love, this is what the emerging church is teaching, my God would never let somebody go to hell. Therefore, there's actually pastors out there today that are preaching and teaching. They've got thousands of followers, if not millions. Uh, they've got uh, many, many followers. And what they're teaching is, you know what? I just can't get around my head that God would ever let anyone go to hell. Therefore, they teach and preach that even after death, God's going to give you another shot and another chance and another chance. Well, that may sound like love, 
But the whole thing about postmodernism, it goes back even to the way the world teaches it, does it not? If I'm the one who declares what's right and wrong, by the way, does that sound familiar? You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. We talk about that in the world all the time. If each person can declare what's right and wrong, that person gets to be God. And it's the same way within the Christian world. If I get to claim, well, you know what, I don't, I don't thank my God, blah, blah, blah. Well, what does the Word of God say? Does God want anybody to go to hell, by the way? You look at the cross and tell me if God wants anybody to go to hell. He did that for every person because He loves every person. And if a person goes to hell, it's going to be over the cross. And it's going to be denying the love of God. And I'm just simply trying to tell you today that we need to be aware. There's a lot to be aware of. Hopefully I told you enough tonight to get you to look into some of these things. But we'll, uh, uh, we'll get back more on that next week. Amen. All right. Uh, that two minutes went really fast for me, I'm telling you. Uh, all right. Uh, I, think, uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and close out, all right? If you have any questions or comments uh, or anything that you want to have, any questions for me, any statements, uh, I'll let you, you know, come, come to me and we can talk about them. But I want to allow other folks to go. Uh, so uh, why don't we just close tonight in a word of prayer. Thank all y'all for being here. Amen. And then we got some first-time visitors. Be sure and make them welcome if you haven't already. And uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you tonight.